welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's dive in. Pull out your Bibles. We ask everybody to bring a Bible every week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And uh, this is, uh, for some of us, a familiar account of the birth of Jesus. For some of us, it might be the very first time that we're hearing it. And that's awesome if it is. Luke chapter 2. If you have a phone even with a Bible app, feel free to pull that out. We know that football hasn't started yet, so your ESPN isn't going to work that well for you anyway. So how are you feeling about it? I mean, we're it's Wednesday night when Christmas Eve happens. Thursday, we're going to have Christmas. I don't know if you're Christmas Eve gift openers or Christmas morning gift openers. It, you know, it gives you a little bit more time to get things ready for the kiddos if you're Christmas morning gift openers. I'm starting to feel better because yesterday my eldest son, who's in town from the Bay Area, and my my wife put up the Christmas tree. I've been nagging them a long time to get that tree up. (laughs) Finally, you know, someone listened to me, and they got the tree up. That was awesome. And, uh, And so I'm feeling better, but there's just so much that... Are you feeling that? There's so much that has to be done to get ready for Christmas. And and go with the lights getting up on the house, the gifts purchased. And I'm, I'm infamous for buying gifts on Christmas Eve morning, running around with thousands of other people trying to get those gifts on Christmas Eve morning. Anybody? No, you guys are all organized. Forget it. All right. Well, here's the thing, though, that I came to a conclusion finally yesterday on. There's just some things that aren't going to get done this year. Like Julie had given me... Uh, a honeydew list, you know, and it was a little bit long. And um, I'm just, you know, I have to throw my hands up and admit it. It's not all going to get done, right? And then I love those Christmas cards with the family picture and it has the dog on it and everything. Yeah, that's that's not happening for the Gunn family this year. I'm, I'm just admitting it right out of the chute here. Don't expect the photo Christmas card from the Gunn family this year. That's, that's not happening. But the thing that I'm really disappointed about is uh, I'm not going to have time to make the veggie gingerbread house this year. <laughs> like, I, this is something I look forward to every Christmas, the veggie gingerbread house. But this year, I finally had to just be real, be honest, admit, ain't nobody got time for that. And you probably have some things in, in, uh, in your life that you're going, yeah, it's not going to happen this year. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. So how, in the midst of everything that's going on, do we make room in our schedule to worship Jesus? And of course, we're going to have, a, as I've said already this morning, a huge opportunity to do that on Wednesday night. And I really just want to keep hammering that home, planting that little thought in your head, 3, 5, 7 p.m., December 24th. Can you hear me? (laughs) But also we're talking about Christmas Eve worship that begins in December very early on and carries on through December 
and then maybe stretches into January, February, March. And, and we see that little baby in the manger all year long, and we, we make room in our schedule for him, of course now, because this is the time when it's, it's special for us to celebrate the birth of our Savior. But how do we even extend that and make room in our schedule all year long so that, so that we can have Jesus in our hearts and in our lives? And really that comes down to the why, doesn't it? Because at, at a time like this, when we are scurrying around with so much on our mind, so many things that we feel that we have to do, I don't know how that works for you, but how that works for me is I start living by default. And I'm, I'm no longer living with a plan or with a strategy. It's just like, you know what? <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's not going to get... And, and here's the little thought that starts to run through my mind, sometimes unconsciously, sometimes consciously. Who's going to get offended if I don't do that? Anybody ever think... Lisa does. Thank you, Lisa. I, yeah. It's, I'll be totally honest. I'm like, who's going to be ticked? Who's going to get in my face? Who's going to be upset with me if I don't get this done in time for Christmas? And I start checking things off, not on the basis of priorities, my plan based on those priorities, and how I want my life to be, and how I want my heart to be filled with my, with my Lord, but simply living by default in the moment. And if, if you've ever experienced anything like that, where you've come to that place where you're not living on plan or by a priority, but, but simply what you feel others want for you, then you, you know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing in that moment when I'm able to step back from it. I'm letting, I'm letting other people plan my life for me. I'm letting other people tell me what kind of life I'm supposed to live. I'm, in essence, turning pleasing people into an idol. And so today, the, the encouragement from Luke chapter 2 is to step back and let's really look at the why. Why do we want to make room in our schedule for Jesus? And there are the coolest, the most awesome reasons for us to make room in our schedules for Jesus. But it all starts with this question. And it's the question, is Jesus' birthday worth putting on my schedule? Let me, let me take you to Isaiah 53. Look at what Isaiah writes. This is 700 years before Jesus is even born. And the prophet Isaiah is talking about Jesus in pretty good detail here. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is talking about the Jesus who will be coming in 700 years. Isaiah is talking about him. And notice what it says next. I'd like you to underline these words. He, this is Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Now, I love prophetic language because, do you notice, it doesn't use future here. This is such a promise that Isaiah is talking about it as though it's already happened. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
You see, one of the trap doors that we're going to explore this morning from Luke chapter 2 is that Jesus is often not a very get-in-your-face kind of guy. He's gentle, he's kind, he's patient. And we've all experienced that grace in our lives. Because when we've sinned, very, very often we've come to the Lord confessing those sins and and we know from the promises in the Bible that, that he forgives us. And, and maybe sometimes that very sin is not carving out time in our schedule for worshiping the Lord. And yet, God always warmly welcomes us back, winningly welcomes us back. And that grace sometimes for us, because we're so familiar with it, we, we know Jesus, that his death on the cross means forgiveness for us, constant uh, and overwhelming supply of forgiveness, that we can begin to just sort of take that for granted because Jesus is, as it says here, there's no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. When he came, he came as a human being just like you and me. And in some ways, there, were, there was less to attract us to him than there would be for us to be attracted to each other. That's how ordinary and normal Jesus appeared. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, Isaiah says. And he goes on. It's, it's even more than that. He was despised. Not just that people weren't of Jesus' day weren't attracted to him, but he was literally rejected. By mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Will you circle the words hide their faces and held him in low esteem? Do you see why I'm raising the question as we set out on this journey this morning? Is Jesus' birthday worth putting on my schedule? Because even Isaiah notices our human, sinful nature tendency to hide our faces from Jesus and hold him in low honor, in low esteem. And, and by the way, this, this is not Isaiah saying, all those people out there who never come to church. Isaiah is actually talking to the people of God here in the Old Testament. And I'm talking to the people of God here today at Crosswalk Church, and I'm saying, this is not just something for us to sit here in church and go, hey, I'm here. But to realize that because of sin living inside of us, sin that we never get rid of because it's sin that we've inherited from our parents and they from their parents, because of inherited sin, it's always our tendency to want to hide our faces from Jesus and to hold him in low esteem. So how do we reverse that? How do we how do we move past that sin? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And in my view, it's all about having a big enough why. So I want to give you three, three reasons to consider why to make room in your schedule for worshiping Christ this week and every week of the year. First of all, I want to talk about who is this that is asking for room? In our schedule. Secondly, I want to talk about how does how does this person operate that we need to just be aware of so that we're not fooled into thinking that he doesn't deserve time on our schedule. 
And then finally, I want to talk about what he's accomplished and why that's so important. It's something that we don't want to miss. And by missing Christmas, we may be missing the whole reason why Christmas happened in the first place. So is Jesus' birthday worth putting on my schedule? Let's dive into Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Luke tells us, as he opens up his gospel a chapter earlier, that he's taken time to carefully investigate all the facts about Jesus Christ because he wants to make sure he has the facts straight and he wants the story to be told accurately because he believes that this is literally the most important story in the world. If you have your own Bible, you can go back to Luke chapter 1, read those first verses, and you'll see Luke saying, man, I have carefully looked into this. And in this portion, talking about the events leading up to Jesus' birth, Luke introduces to us five people, three kings, and two peasants. And he starts by talking about two of those three kings, a gentleman named Caesar Augustus, and another gentleman, a local, I guess we could call him king, the Bible calls him governor, named Quirinius, who was governor over Syria. We need to know these guys because it's important for us to understand just how powerful they were. There was, for example, a reason why Caesar Augustus collected the title Augustus, and that was added to his title of Caesar. Augustus means most revered, most honored. And the interesting thing about Caesar Augustus was that he grew up uh, an orphan, but was adopted by a man that we're all familiar with from high school literature, Julius Caesar. And and Julius Caesar raised him. Julius Caesar was in actuality by blood his granduncle who became his adoptive father. We all know how Julius Caesar's life ended if we went through high school English. And so eventually then Caesar Augustus became... The, the next emperor. And he was a little bit... Last week we talked about Herod and how he, was, um, he had a, a dark side. The beauty of Caesar Augustus was that on his way into power, he was at times a little bit brutal. But once he came to power, he was so kind and so benevolent. And that's, that's why he finally got the title Caesar Augustus, the greatest, the most revered and honored. And, and this man, though he is very kind and benevolent, is not a God-fearing man. That's important for us to know, too. Because we need to understand the motivation why he would order a census. And there were only two reasons for ordering a census. Some historians and scholars believe that this was actually an extra census. The census tend to come around about every 14 years. They believe this was an additional one in the middle of those 14-year periods. And the only reason for a Caesar or a king to do something like this were two. He wanted more power and he wanted more wealth. So we can see that this man, as kind and gentle as he was in many ways, was also a seeker after power and wealth. Power because the census would lead to 
conscripting more young men as soldiers. He would know exactly how many young men were of age to become legionnaires in the Roman army. And wealth because it would lead to nobody escaping the tax rolls and make sure that everyone paid their taxes. And the reason I'm bringing this up to you is because you should be clear that both with Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, who was appointed by Caesar Augustus, these were men who were carrying this out for very, very human motives. Seeking greater power, seeking more money. And you have things like that going on in your life too. That's why it's so important. Because I think we can relate to this. We have power people in our lives who aren't very interested in God. They might be kind. They might be very benevolent people. They might be what people that we would call good people. But motivated by more power and more money. And because of that, we might begin to think, you see, God is not at work in our lives because our lives are controlled by these people whose only interest is power and money. And it might feel like to us that God is very distant from us, that he's not able to work in our lives because we're surrounded by too many of these people whose interests are ungodly. And I want want you to see what happens here in this situation with, with those very circumstances. And Daniel, another one of the men who wrote about Jesus many years before he came, and who had some interesting experiences with very powerful, very wealthy kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, and others, he has a very interesting perspective on all of it. Let's take a look. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. This is after he was asked to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and he does so successfully. So Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Daniel was a man who was a believer in his own time. And over time, as a young man even, he was elevated to be a servant almost a a, a prime minister type individual, one of the early magi or wise men, and served the emperors of the Babylonian and Persian empires, which were every bit as powerful and as wealthy as this Roman empire. Daniel had a peek intimately into the lives of these emperors, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, and so forth. And what he came away with is these guys may be very powerful and they may be very wealthy, but they are nowhere near as powerful as our God. And in fact, look back over those words. Our God is the one who is truly wise and powerful, Daniel says. Our God is the one who not only can 
change your schedule because he's so important. And Daniel had to change his schedule at times because the king said, I need you here right now. We've all changed schedules because of the power people in our lives. That Christmas party that you didn't really want to go to, but because your boss said everybody's expected to be there, you know what I'm talking about. Powerful people, wealthy people can change our schedules, but but God does far more than that. He changes time itself. Wealthy and, and powerful people may be wise and understanding, but our God gives his wisdom and his understanding to us. He changes minds. And he literally transforms them. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Daniel is really telling us that there is a difference between a small K king and a large K king. That Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful and wealthy as he is, is and will always remain a small K king. Cyrus the same. Caesar Augustus, even if he's called Augustus, is and will always remain a small K king. The power people in your life, whoever they might be, your boss, your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, whoever you sometimes feel has more control over you than you want them to have, and has more control over your mind and more control over your schedule than you'd like to allow, the thing to remember always for all of us is they will never be more than small K kings. And there is a large K king who can do so much more, who is truly in control of time itself, who truly has wisdom that he wants to open up the dark places of our mind, chase the sin away, chase the guilt and the shame and the anger away, push the darkness, the spiritual darkness out of our minds and out of our hearts and open up a whole new world of light and hope. And as Jonathan said earlier, not just happiness, but true joy. That's what the capital K King wants you to have. And that's why number one reason to make room in your schedule is just like you do with a lot of other things. Well, who is it that's asking for room in my schedule? This is no small K King looking for room in your schedule. This is the capital K King of heaven and earth, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who wants a space in your schedule so that he can personally meet with you and assure you that he's got control of your hours and your days and your weeks and your months and that he'll help you with that. He wants to assure you that he has great wisdom and hope and light for you in life. He's the one that wants room in your schedule. So we write these two things down. The voice of a small caking changes schedules and we've all done it we've changed our schedules for the small k kings in our lives but the voice of the king the capital k king jesus and that is the one whose birth we're celebrating his voice changes times seasons and even kings notice what daniel says 
He deposes kings and raises up others. And the second point is, the voice of a small K king changes minds. We might change our mind about something because someone important to us has said, I want you to look at it this way, or I want you to come here or go there or do this or that. We'll, we'll change our minds about things because there's someone important, maybe powerful in our life, but there's still a small K king. The voice of the king literally will transform your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, tells us that God wants to renew our minds. There was another Joseph in the Old Testament whose mind got renewed by God. I don't know if you remember his story. I'm not going to relate the whole story back to you this morning. But Genesis 50 is one of my my favorite chapters in Genesis because it's the very end of this story where Joseph has been roughed up pretty bad by his brothers and gone through this just series of peaks and valleys in his life. Deep valleys, depressing valleys. At the end of the story, the brothers come and they say, Okay, Joseph, it's, we know you're going to get revenge on us now. Joseph, who knew that the capital K king had been in control of this whole series of events throughout his life, had been in control of time for him, and who wanted to transform his heart and mind, looks back at his brothers and says, essentially, there's not going to be any revenge. I, I get it. You intended to harm me, but hear this, my brothers. God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. When our minds change, are transformed by God, we begin to see things in a whole new light that that God has been in control of all the events of our days and weeks and months and years. And that the capital K King Jesus himself, the one who is born, the one whom we are celebrating, he wants to change and reframe everything in our lives so that we know that what's happening is for a grand purpose, the saving of many lives. And that's the perspective I hope you go home with today and why you're celebrating Jesus' birthday. God wants to use his son Jesus, but he also wants to use you in other ways for the transforming of other people's minds and hearts and for the saving of many lives. And that's what we're celebrating. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. Let's go to page two. And the second reason why this is a beautiful time to celebrate. Back into Luke 2. So Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. This is, this is a journey of about 100 miles with a wife, probably a teen wife and himself a teenager. And she's out to here. She's ready to pop with this baby in her belly. And they're walking and riding on a donkey for a hundred miles. But he goes to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. I said three kings and two peasants. We met already Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. We, met, we, we meet now the two peasants, Mary and Joseph. Very poor, everyday people. Joseph, Mary's husband, was a carpenter. And they were humbled in other ways, too. Their reputation, I'm sure by now, the reputation of both of them was shot. Mary's because she was pregnant 
And Joseph was saying, I had nothing to do with it. Joseph's because at the bidding of an angel, oh sure, Joseph, you saw an angel, goes ahead and decides to follow through with the marriage. Like, what are you thinking, bro? Don't you see what this girl has done to you? And now you're going to go ahead and marry her anyway? You're an idiot. So these two who are humbled by events, humbled by birth, truly poor, hand-to-mouth people, teenagers, are making this 100-mile journey. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Very, very poor people, except in one area where they are exceptionally wealthy. And that is in their faith, that what they are doing is all part of God's marvelous plan of salvation, not only their salvation, but the fulfillment of hundreds and hundreds of years of promises and prophecies to bring about the birth of the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior who would one day sacrifice himself for the sins of the entire world, the one who would assure by his life, his perfect life as our champion, his perfect sacrificial death, that we no longer have to worry about our guilt and our shame. We no longer have to worry about the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. We no longer have to worry about the separation between us and God because Jesus has taken all those sins away and has healed that breach between God and us. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? And the amazing thing is that this happens in such humble, humble circumstances brought about by the lowliest of people. And this is important when you consider worshiping Jesus on your schedule. Because as we see Jesus operate, most gods that are worshipped are gods that get in your face, wag their finger at you and say, you better start climbing, buddy. Because if you're, if you're ever going to get anywhere back close to me, if you're ever going to have any hope of heaven, you better start working at it. You better become a much better person than you are today. And they appeal to your pride. They, they want to spur you on to be a better person by appealing to what you think you can bring to the table. And this is what makes our Christian faith so unique and so unusual and so, well, frankly, weird. Because this is not God saying, you better climb your way up to me. This is God in great love and mercy saying, I'm coming down to you. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I sit on the throne of heaven and earth. But I, Jesus, the Son of God and God himself, truly God, am going to become a true human being just like you. I want to experience the pain that you're experiencing. I want to experience the tears that you have. I want to understand the, the challenges and the, and the constant stretching that goes on in your life. I want to get what it feels like to be tempted to sin. I want to understand all of what that's like. So I'm going to step down from heaven's throne And become truly one of you. True God becoming true man. 
And we can be so fooled, can't we, when big things come in small packages? When really important events and things come without a lot of fanfare, in fact, just the opposite, that they're silent, you know the most popular hymn, right? Silent Night. That's, that's what fools us at times, is that God is working so humbly, so quietly. He's not in our faces. That we begin to think, you know what? I, I don't know if this is really what it is. I'm not sure if I need to celebrate it, worship God at this time. Because really, is this, is this how God is going to work through a teenage girl and a teenage boy? whose friends and neighbors and family members themselves thought they were fools? Is this how God is going to work? And this is what I want you to know, that throughout the Bible, going all the way from Genesis to Revelation, this is exactly how God works all the time. In humble circumstances. And you know the beauty of that for you? That's why Jesus says, "Beauty are the, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. For, for people who are humbled by their sins, for people who do feel lowly, Jesus says, I can use that. I can work through you, humble as you are. Lowly as you might feel that you are. Undeserving as you might feel that you are. I can work with that. I want you to write this down. I won't be fooled into thinking that Christmas isn't worth my time. With the king, big things come in small packages. See, even Bethlehem. Notice what it says right above there, Micah 5.2. Micah that prophesies this. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are what? Small. Among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. The eternal God will come out of this dusty, little, tiny town called Bethlehem. People of God, don't be fooled when God works through the humblest and the smallest of circumstances and through the smallest of people and in the smallest of places. Tiny little crosswalk church, we're, we're nothing to shake a stick at. And yet every day on staff, I, I get to watch God go to work in people's hearts and minds. Working through humble people like yourself, like the staff. People who don't deserve this grace and this kindness, but because of God's great love, we receive it anyway. And powerful things, big Things happen through little churches and little people, little places like Levine. Because God is big and he is the one whom we are celebrating and worshiping. Don't be fooled into thinking Christmas isn't worth a spot on your calendar. Big things with God always come in small packages. And there's one more reason why we celebrate Christmas. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths 
and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Underline those words, the time came. You see, this seems on the, on the outside of it so random. Here are these two teenagers walking a hundred miles. She's pregnant. What's the pace of the donkey? They get there. It even becomes more random. Even though it's their family town, no relatives have a place for them to stay. They go to the inn. No, no room for them there either. It's like, dude, did you have a plan? What were you thinking? But when Luke reports it, what does he say? The time came. As if this was part of the plan all along. Maybe not Mary and Joseph's plan exactly, even though they had heard about it from the angel. But God's plan, the one who is in control of time, has controlled Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, Mary, and Joseph, and now the birth of the baby Jesus, the third king. The greatest king, the capital K king, takes place. The time came for the baby to be born, and as much as it looks like there's no plan, they don't even have decent clothes to put on the baby. They have to lay him in a feeding trough. Now, you've had that happen in your life, haven't you? Where on the outside, it looks like there cannot possibly be a plan here. If this is a plan, it is the craziest plan I've ever seen. But look at what Paul says. But when the set time had fully come, this was not just the time had come, but the set time. This was God had already set the clock. There was a countdown. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And here's why to celebrate Christmas most of all. Paul says, all this was God's plan of salvation. Emphasis of, on, of salvation. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What God wanted to do through this birth. Why we celebrate, why we push other things aside in our calendar is, this is our redemption. This is our ransomer who is born, who is going to pay the price to take us out of our slavery to sin and Satan, death and hell. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. That's us. That we might receive adoption to sonship. We're going to go from slaves to children of God. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Another gift of God's grace. God sends you the spirit. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The spirit who, once he dwells in you, links you to God as if he is your dear dad. That's what Abba means, dad. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So we write these words down. With the king, there are no coincidences. 
It might seem like there are, but there are no coincidences. Only a plan of salvation, a plan to move me from a slave of sin to a child of God. We no longer have to go up to him because he, God himself, has come down to us. Awesome. Amazing. Make room in your schedule. Not just this coming week. Help others make room in their schedule by inviting them to Christmas Eve. Absolutely. Did I mention 3, 5, and 7 p.m.? But make room in your schedule also all year long. For your Savior, that little baby, humble. Make room in your schedule because he's the capital K King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Make room in your schedule because you know not to be fooled by humble experiences, humble people in your life. You know that God works through the humblest of people and circumstances and even places like Levine and churches like Crosswalk. And finally, make room in your schedule because the greatest of plans is being carried out. God's plan of salvation that takes you from being a slave of sin, Satan, death, and hell to being a child of God. And God's plan always comes true in the end. Don't forget that ever. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your plans always come to pass in the end. And we see that that happens here as as much as it looks like it's all helter-skelter, coincidence, unplanned. We know that this was your set time that had fully come. Lord, help us to remember that when we're looking at our calendars, you deserve time on our calendars. You are the capital K King of our lives, our hearts, and minds. Lord, help us not to, to let the devil, the world, our own sinful flesh fool us into thinking humble circumstances like this can't possibly be God at work. Help us to remember that with you, Lord, always big things come in small packages. And Lord, most of all, help us to remember that we want to make room in our schedule for you because you want to carry out your plan of salvation also in our minds and in our hearts by feeding us with your word, by by offering the sacraments to us, by helping us to fellowship and grow in you. Lord, may everyone who's here today understand the importance of the why for making room in our schedules. For you, the King of Kings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Every day, it's amazing to think about it, the King of Kings, the capital K King, makes room in his schedule for you. He made a huge room in his schedule, 33 years, to come down and live his life perfectly for you in your place, die that perfect sacrificial death. And now that same Jesus, who, whom we're celebrating his birth this week, says, I would love to have a place on your schedule. 
How about this week we think about how can we make room in our schedule for this Savior of ours that made so much room in his schedule and in his heart for us poor sinners. Let me send you out with uh, the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.